0: pray together. Oh God, as we want to do, hold on tight. We're on the ride of our lives. Hold on. And in this hour, in which we have the high honor of living, how then shall we live? May today's teaching be guided by the Spirit for us all. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I would have been yelling at the top of my lungs to spur that bus driver on. Did you read the story? Did you see that one? This week. Wednesday morning, 6.48 local time, a bus packed with passengers making its usual commute to the tiny island of American Samoa. Now you know. Somewhere between 13 and 25 minutes later, somebody on the bus happened to look out toward the shoreline and saw it. A massive 15 to 20 foot wall of water racing toward that tiny little island territory of America, American Samoa. Scientists, listen to this, scientists estimate that as a result of a magnitude 8.0 earthquake beneath the seafloor 125 miles to the south, four of them, four consecutive walls of water race toward Samoa and American Samoa at the speed of a 747 in-flight, 530 miles an hour. Four tsunamis. Somebody sees it, the whole bus freezes, as that bus driver swings the vehicle around and races the wave to the highest spot on Little American Samoa. Listen to this Associated Press uh, release here. I was scared. I was shocked, said Didi Afuafi, 28 years old who was on the bus when the giant waves came ashore in American Samoa. Didi went on, all the people on the bus were screaming, crying, trying to call their homes. We couldn't get on cell phones, the phones just died on us. It was just crazy, end quote. With the water approaching fast, the bus driver sped to the top of a nearby mountain where 300 to 500 people were gathered already, including patients evacuated from the main hospital, among them newborns with IVs, crying children and frightened elderly people. The clergy arrived and a prayer service began. I'm telling you what, ladies and gentlemen, it's true, isn't it, how quickly life as we know it can change. And the paradigm shift in an instant. And our hearts go out today to the survivors on Samoa and American Samoa. We've got students here from there. As well as the survivors in western Sumatra, Indonesia, which 24 hours later you heard... Of course, those two killer quakes that struck Indonesia. How quickly life as we know it changed so that they would never forget that there is coming a day when business as usual will no longer pass into the sacred calendar of the community of Israel. God stuck a single day. A day To remind them that for the human race a day of reckoning is coming. For the human race there will be a day of judgment. And they called the day the Day of Atonement. I have tried to imagine, and I need you to help me out here, what it would have been like if you and I were living in that community of Israel back as they're wandering through the wilderness. What would it have been like to come to the Day of Atonement when by the literally tens of thousands the entire community gathers around the church planted in the middle in the middle of that little na- uh, mobile nation only today the church is empty every human being has been commanded to leave well they called it the sanctuary but it was their church everybody's out except one lone individual who today is granted divine permission to do what is forbidden every other day of the year. That is, to walk all alone into that sacred space called the Most Holy Place. And get this, get this. We can't track Him. We cannot tell where He is. Any other day of the year, his, the high priest's magisterial garments along the hem are sewn in bell, pomegranate, bell, pomegranate, bell, pomegranate, bell, pomegranate. So whenever the high priest moves, tinkle, 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 tinkle. But today, no sound. He's stripped off of, the, of those magisterial garments. And today, it's just sacred white linen. In fact, some traditions say that the congregation eventually came along and tied a rope to the ankle Of the high priest, should he, as a representative of the community of Israel, bearing their sins as it were, should he be stricken down by the Shekinah glory, they would then be able to drag him out for burial. There is no record ever that that happened. But you and I today, you and I are today with those tens of thousands, and we already know Aaron's boys, those two preachers' kids, have already inebriated, DUI, they have gone in died in an instant. So, guys, ladies and gentlemen, what would it have been like to live in the Day of Atonement back then? I want to go to a passage with you that we have not been to before. There are two cryptic clues in this passage. It's possible that we can surmise not only what it would have been like back then, but maybe these cryptic clues are a guide to how we should live right now. Open your Bible, please, to the third book of the Bible, the book of Leviticus. We're not going to Leviticus 16, where you and I have been before. Let's now go to a brand new passage, Leviticus 23. By the way, you didn't bring your Bible, grab the Bible right in front of you. It'll be the New King James, our pew Bible's New King James. You've got to see these two cryptic clues for yourself. Grab the pew Bible. It will be page 86 in your pew Bible. I'm going to be in the New International Version, the NIV. Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. Let's find Leviticus 23 together. Just note three short verses. Leviticus 23. And let's pick it up in verse 26. All right, Leviticus 23, verse 26. The Lord said to Moses... Here comes now verse 27. The tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. Verse 28. Do no work on that day. By the way... Ladies and gentlemen, this is the only day of the year where work was forbidden. No other holy or holidays, we call them today. No other holiday, sacred holiday, was work forbidden except the Seventh-day Sabbath. Always the Seventh-day Sabbath and then the Day of Atonement as well. So, verse 28, do no work on that day because it is the day of atonement when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. Verse 29, and anyone who does not deny himself on that day must be cut off from his people. Clearly, it's a day of judgment. Cut off. Ah. And you say, oh, come on, Dwight, please, give me a break. All this Old Testament stuff. I mean, I'm New Testament. I am post-New Testament as a, as a Christian. I'm not into this little superstitious, you know, ancient ritual. It, it matters not a thing to me. And you know what, my friend? I'm with you absolutely right on. Really, please. Except. Except for the stunning discovery, as we have shared it in the last four teachings... That that little day of atonement, that one day on the calendar for the community of Israel was in fact a divinely designed enactment of an eventual day for the entire human race. A day of reckoning, a day of judgment, a day when there will no longer be business as usual. And as we noted just last week in that prophecy, Daniel 8, 14, the the final two minute warning, the final two minute warning of the human race. Throw in a timeout if you want. Throw in timeouts until you're out of timeouts, but then that clock runs to zero because of that. Two cryptic clues here. Maybe they're a clue as to how then we shall live today. Let's take a look. Take, take your study guide out. Let's, let's jot those two clues down real quick and then I'll go home. Grab the study guide in your worship bulletin. Reach into your worship bulletin. Pull out that study guide. If you didn't get a worship bulletin or you need a study guide, thank you, ushers. Let's get uh, study guides, please, to those who need them. Hold your hand up. And here they come. And by the way, I want to make sure, and I'm going to look in the camera, those of you who are in our youth chapel, and the deacons are telling me some of you are choosing the youth chapel now as your kind of permanent worshiping place, and we're glad you're here. But if you're in the youth chapel, make sure you get that study guide as well. There's a deacon assigned to that youth chapel. Make sure you get a study guide so that everybody gets it. And by the way, those of you watching on television right now, we're delighted to have you. Let me put our website on the screen for you right now. You can get the same study guide. You see it on the screen now, www.pmchurch.tv. You're looking for the series, The Temple. And this is, this is what? Part five of the temple. Outside the curtain. That would be outside the curtain of the most holy place, but inside the camp. What was life like inside the camp? Maybe that's a clue to what life ought to be like today. Let's, let's, let's check it out. Figure it out. All right. Two clues. You got a study guide. Keep your hand up. They're coming your way. Two clues. Jot it down. Clue number one. Deny yourself, deny yourselves. Moses is speaking to the whole to the whole community. Deny yourselves. Let's re- let's read that verse again. Verse twenty-seven. You'll see it right there. God speaking to Moses. The tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. Now keep your pen moving. Jot this down. To deny yourself depicts an intense personal. That's the key word. Personal, intense, personal seeking after God. But the truth of the matter is, we we don't know what it means. By that I mean you can't go to the books of Moses and find any clue as to what does this deny yourself mean. In the Hebrew, it can be translated, those of you that have the New King James or the King James, it says afflict yourself. You have the New American Standard Bible, it says humble yourself. We just looked at the NIV, it says deny yourself. So what? What's up with that? Roy Gain, who teaches Old Testament here in our theological seminary at Andrews University. Listen to this. Roy Gain was invited by Zondervan Publishing. Huge publishing in the Christian world, all right? Roy Gain was invited by Zondervan Publishing to author the Leviticus Numbers volume of their NIV application commentary, which, by the way, was not only a professional honor for Roy. But which also gave a scholar within our community of faith the opportunity to carefully exegete for the wider Christian world the Bible sanctuary teaching of the Day of Atonement. Amazing. I've been reading it through just for my devotional experience. And I've got to tell you, his book for this series has been extremely helpful. Now, Roy notes this. He says, you know what? You can't find this, this phrase, deny yourself, in the, in the writings of Moses. But there are three other places it appears in the Old Testament. And from those three places, ah, that's what it means. Would you jot it down, please? In Psalm 35, 13, Isaiah 58, verse 3. You can check these out later. And Ezra 8, 21. The practice of denying yourself or humbling oneself is linked with fasting. Write the word in, please. Fasting. So what's up with that? Fasting, Roy concludes, this is Gain writing here, put it on the screen for you, you'll need to fill it in in your study guide. Thus, practicing self-denial is an outward expression accompanying supplication to God at a time of inner distress. Hold on now. Temporary suspension of normal activities, including eating that sustains life. And then I put in brackets there, that's obviously fasting including eating that sustains life. Suspension of that focuses on God without interruption and acknowledges, jot it down, total dependence upon God at a time of special need. Did you catch that? Denying oneself means you undertake a sign of total dependence upon God at a time of special need. The Day of Atonement was the only day, by the way, of all the sacred holy days or holidays. It was the only one where God commanded fasting. In fact, it's mentioned in the book of Acts. It says on the fast day, capital F, fast day, near the end of Acts. We know that's the day of atonement. It's the only one. So here's the question. What's the big deal about fasting, huh? Come on, tell me, what's the big deal about fasting? Well, have you noticed? Check this one out. I'm going to run this by you. Have you noticed... Ours is an appetite-driven culture. I want to talk about television commercials, only television commercials right now. I want you to name for me a single television commercial that does not appeal to appetite. Fame, food, drink, fortune, power, possessions, popularity... Tell me one television commercial that you can think of that does not appeal to one of those appetites we have. Tell me one. I can only think of one. The commercial for Depends. (laughs) There's no appetite involved. But my point is, my point is, everything. I mean, of course you can come up with one. You can come up with one. But the dominant focus of our society is appetite-driven, is it not? So here's the deal. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for right now? What are you really hungry for? And I'm going to step, I'm going to step into an area you and I have never stepped into before. Maybe. I'm going to ask it, ask it in the form of a question. Could it be that maybe as a counterbalance to our appetite-driven culture, maybe as kind of a divine acid to all the hungers that drive us, In in this hour of the Day of Atonement, in the throne room turned courtroom above, and by the way, it's down here, in this hour of the Day of Atonement, in the dorm room, in the classroom, in the living room, maybe, maybe we ought to take seriously The notion that every now and then, now hold on, every now and then, for maybe a day and a night, I don't know, but every now and then, maybe in this hour of history, we ought to take seriously the idea of fasting. Fasting. Keeping in mind, of course, Jesus' very balanced counsel about anybody who undertakes a fast. I want to show you what Jesus said on this. Very balanced. And you need to see it in your own Bible. The, the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't leave it out. It's right there. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 16. Jesus talks about fasting. I want you to get this. Take a look at it in your Bible. When you fast. By the way, there is no command from Christ to fast anywhere in the New Testament. He never says fast, but it is under, this is an implicit understanding that you are going to fast. The day will come when you will fast. So I'm going to give you some counsel about it. Here we go. When you fast, do not look somber, as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men and women that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men and women that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, He will reward you. Hmm. What's going on here? I love the way Oh, you're going to love this too. Eugene Peterson in the message. Notice how he paraphrases this very same passage. And you'll need to fill it in your study guide. Peterson taking these same words of Jesus. When you practice some appetite denying discipline. That's what fasting would be. Appetite denying. The big issue is appetite. He hit, it, he hit the nail on the head. When you practice some appetite denying discipline to better. Please make sure you get that word. Concentrate on God. Ladies and gentlemen, let us be clear immediately. Fasting is not about getting God's attention. Fasting does not make God say, Oh, man, I am really impressed with Junior there. I am really impressed with Sissy. Whoa, look at that fasting. Fasting does not move God a whit. 24-7, He already loves you to the max. All right? That's a key point. 24-7, He already loves you to the max. But, let's put it back up, please. What, what, What Peterson is saying here, if you want to concentrate more clearly. He says, Jesus says when you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. I love this. Keep reading. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. Isn't that good? No bombs. Oh, she's fasting. Whoa. By the way, Jesus says that is all the reward you get. That's it. If you tell anybody... That little, whoa, is all you get. You haven't impressed God. Peterson says, hey, listen, if you go into training inwardly, I like this. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair. Brush your teeth. Please. Wash your face. God does not require, now isn't this good? God does not require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He will reward you well. Don't you tell your roommate, I'm, I'm going on a fast today, I can't go with you to the cafeteria. Don't say a word to your housemate, to your spousemate, to your workmate. Not a word. Mum's the word. Shh. Just a day and a night where you will hold in check an, ad- an appetite that defines your day and sets your schedule. You think about it. Everything we do is run right here. Everything we do comes out of here. But one day comes, you say, Whoa! Hold it, stomach! I'm not listening to you today. 24 hours. 24 hours. Hey, listen. For some of us, it may be that food isn't the only thing we would fast from. It may be that you you would wish to fast from television. Well, there's a thought. Fast from radio. Fast from your iPod. No iPod. No music. Off. How about a 24-hour Internet fast? Nothing on the, in cyberspace. I'd say fast from our cell phones, but who has the courage and time for that? So we'll just leave cell phones out of it. Huh? Isn't that right? Listen, jot this down, please. Whatever it is you fast from, here's the deal. In its usual place, would you underline that, circle that? In the usual place that whatever it is you're fasting from, in that place in your day schedule, insert some quiet time alone with God. That's the big deal right there. Substitution is how we're doing this. You pull something out. I'm going without this now. You put something in. I want some quiet time alone with God. That's the deal on fasting. In fact, you know what you could do? You could take your Bible. Wouldn't this be something? you got a pocket Bible? Take your Bible to where you have lunch. When you slip away? Nobody. Goes, hey, where do you go for lunch? I don't know. You just slip away with your Bible. During that time that you would normally be eating. Today, I'm not eating. I'm eating here. I'm feeding here. In fact, jot that down, will you please? Substitute your appetite for food with an appetite for every word, quoting Jesus, every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4.11. May I remind you that when Christ spoke those words, He is in mortal hand-to-hand combat with the fallen Lucifer himself. After 40 days, he speaks these words, after 40 days of fasting day and night. He's not asking anybody to be like Jesus there. Never, never. God doesn't need a 40 day fast and trust me, you don't either. But he said in the midst of that thrust, man and woman shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Take your pocket Bible with you. Find that little spot where you can be alone with God. Feed on the Word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, the point is we are living in God's final strategic salvation history chapter. We are in the judgment. I know it doesn't feel like it. I know that we're going to dinner as soon as this is over. I know that life goes on. We'll have Saturday night and then there'll be next week. And I know it doesn't feel like we're in the judgment. But we are. The two minute warning has already sounded. You can ignore it. You can play, not me. Or you can say, no, 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 no. Deny myself. I'll deny appetite. I'll fast. I love my friends down the road here in Buchanan Life Action Ministries. Great leader, Byron Paulus. I've chatted with Byron along the way, my time pastoring here. They run a wonderful ministry just down in Buchanan, and they put out this very, very inspirational magazine. Can you, can you get a camera in on that, please? This is their Revive magazine. And, and this is the latest one. And look at the cover story. Bible Boredom, Reviving Your Passion for God's Word. Inside the magazine is a piece by Howard Hendricks, the great theologian from Dallas Theological Seminary. In his piece, he tells a story, and I've got to share this story with you. He tells a story, and let me just read it to you. Here it is. Okay. A man I know. All right? A man I know came to Christ. So I gave him a New Testament and I told him to read it. He came back a week later and said, I read it. I said to him, I know, but I meant the whole thing. He said, I did. He said, I read the whole thing, including the palms in the back. He thought the word was palms. It's Psalms. You know, it's a little New Testament, Psalms. I read the palms. Psalms. I love those poems. I read them. And he said, I understand there's another section to this thing. He was talking about the Old Testament. So I gave him the Old Testament and three weeks later he came back and said he had read it. Now Hendricks is talking to you and me. My friend, we have elders in our church who have never read the Bible through in its entirety. Oh But here's this guy who's like a, kid, a little kid with a fire engine, so excited to study the Bible. Sometime later, this man and I were studying the passage where Jesus says, Luke 12:15, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. He stopped me and said, whoa, does that mean what I think it means? I asked him what he thought it meant. And he explained it better than any commentary I had ever read. So this man went out and liquidated a million dollars worth of property to resource the work of Jesus Christ. That's called taking the word seriously. That's called being excited about that little pocket Bible. That's called carrying that pocket Bible with you. That's called every chance you get to find a moment where you and God can be alone in His Word. Fast. Fasting. Pull something out so that you can put something in. Some of you, by the way, will pull something out permanently and never bring it back. That'll be the work of the Spirit. And you'll have to know what that is. We are living in God's judgment up there. There must be a spiritual deepening going on down here. That's the point. And so I'm, 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 I'm moving into territory where you and I have never been before and I'm wondering out loud, maybe the time has come for us to fast. Let me share a line from this apocalyptic classic called The Great Controversy. You have it in your study guide. You'll have to fill it in. We are living in the most solemn period of this world's history. Boy, there's an understatement. The destiny of earth's teeming multitudes is about to be decided. Our own future well-being and also the salvation of other souls depend upon the course which we now pursue. We need to be guided by the Spirit of truth. Every follower of Christ should earnestly inquire, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? He'll honor that prayer, by the way. He will honor it. And He will show you. He will lead you. Now, here comes. We need to humble ourselves. That's Day of Atonement language, straight out of the Hebrew. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord with fasting and prayer. Jot that down. Fasting and prayer. And to meditate much upon His Word. Especially, this is what caught me by surprise, especially the scenes of the judgment. Why would you ever want to look at those scenes? They always make me a little bit nervous. Maybe that's the point. Great peace have they which love thy law. Look, it, I understand about peace that passes understanding, but every every now and then, I need a little reminder, Dwight, guess what, buddy? Your life is just today. So how's it going, you and me, today, boy? Because I'm concerned. Every now and then, you get them too. The little... Woo-hoo. You thought about where we are in history right now? It's the day of atonement language straight out of the Scripture, humbling ourselves through fasting and prayer. So here's the deal. Maybe you and I ought to consider fasting as a demonstration, as Roy Gain put it, of our total dependence upon God in a time of special need. I don't know when to tell you to do it. I don't know how much time you ought to do it for. Don't ask me. But what if we just did it? And if you're on a prescribed diet, check with your physician or fast from something besides food or drink. All I know is that we're living in the time of the judgment and it's probably calling for an intensification of the spiritual experience we are presently enjoying. Intensify. Intensify. Let's read that line again. Did you keep your finger in Leviticus 23? Read it again. Verse 26. The Lord said to Moses... The tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. There it is, clue number two. Clue number one, deny yourself. Clue number two, assemble yourselves. Hold a sacred assembly. Now, ladies and gentlemen, look. To deny yourself depicts an intense, remember we've already written this down, an intense personal seeking after God. But now to assemble yourselves depicts an intense, write it down, collective, A collective seeking after God. The Day of Atonement is both a private intensification and a collective intensification. It's got to happen on both levels. Privately, collectively. I was sharing my heart this last Wednesday night with our House of Prayer congregation. And I was wondering aloud with them, what do you think it's going to take? Maybe you have an answer to this. What do you think it's going to take for God to get the attention of this generation. Inside the church, outside the church. It doesn't matter to me. Just this generation. What do you think it's going to take? I mean, you and I might not agree about everything. That's, that's, that's very okay. But I have a feel. I mean, please. Could there be, you help me out, could there be a more opportune time For the friends of Jesus to be coming together outside of Sabbath worship. I mean, we got that one down. Hallelujah. But could there be an opportune time in history? Could there be a more opportune time in history than this one? The insecurity, the uncertainty. I look in the faces of our talking heads, nobody knows for sure what's going on. Wouldn't this be a fairly obvious time for the community to have these? Sacred assemblies, whatever that means, beyond Sabbath worship. Jonathan Edwards, considered by many the greatest theologian in American history. Jonathan Edwards, I'll put the words on the screen for you. Three centuries ago, he wrote these words. When God is about to accomplish great things for His church, I like this. When God is about to accomplish great things for His church, He will begin by remarkably pouring out the spirit of grace and supplication. Now, hold on. What if we were on the cusp? What if we were right now on the cusp of God getting ready to do that for His church, for the human race, right now? What if we were just almost there? What if God were waiting for an intense collective seeking after Him like we never have before? Did you see that line? By the way, you look down at your study guide because you have the quote there. Do you see that line? He's quoting from the, from the Scripture. God would pour out the spirit of grace and supplication. See the quotation marks around it? Let me put from his old King James because that's all they had back then three centuries ago. He only had the King James. Here's the line. Zechariah 12, verse 10. Fascinating. Go and mark it in your Bible later uh, sometime. God making this promise. Isn't this incredible? And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. That is amazing. In fact, jot it down. I will pour out upon you a spirit of grace and supplication. The New Living Translation renders that a spirit of prayer. Write that in. A spirit of prayer. You go to the English Standard Version and it feels like a spirit of pleading. Pleading. I will pour out this spirit on you. And by the way, it's not Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, I will pour out my spirit on you. No, 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 no. Before I pour out finally my spirit, I'm going to first pour out a spirit of asking. I'm going to give you a new spirit. A spirit that wants to have what I've had all along. I will pour out on you a spirit of supplication. Are you getting this? Now, now watch this. I put another line from uh, Jonathan Edwards. When God, has accom- when God has something very great to accomplish for His church... It is His will that there should precede it the extraordinary prayers of His people. End quote. Ladies and gentlemen, wouldn't it be something, wouldn't it be something if God were waiting to find out from you and me if we're intensely serious about wanting that final gift, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Wouldn't it be something? So that it's not like, Hey, God, I'd love to have that Holy Spirit. Fill me, please. Hallelujah. That one-time request. What if God were holding back and saying, No, 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 no. I want to know, do you really want it? So, be, he, He's not promising on that, on that promise we just read. He's not saying, I'm going to pour out my Spirit. He says, no, I'm going to give you instead a Spirit of asking. What would happen? What would happen if you were the one God was waiting to ask on behalf of this campus? He's saying, Dwight, how would I pray that prayer? Simple. Say, oh God, I wish You would pour out upon Andrews University a spirit of asking. A spirit of pleading. God, we can go through generation after generation, class after class after class. We can go for another millennium if You need us to. But could it be that You're on the cusp of what You have promised to do? If we're in the Day of Atonement now, would You pour out for us a spirit of asking? A spirit of wanting. You know, i got two wonderful kids. Hallelujah. Kirk and Chrissy. When Kirk and Chrissy were very young, uh, in November, every year in November, uh, Toys R Us would come out with the new Christmas flyer. They used to come out in November. Now they're coming out first of October, of course. But Toys R Us. And you know what my kids would do? Every Sunday paper, I'd pull it out for because they love to drool for those pictures. So I'd say, hey guys, here's the uh here's the latest Toys R Us brochure, full color. And they would hurry off to a corner of the house, and before you know it, I mean in five minutes, Kirk is back. Daddy, I found it at last. What I have always been wanting all my life. Daddy, can I have this? And he put his little pudgy finger. I want that. I've always, Daddy, you know that. I've always wanted this, and I'm thinking to myself, "Yeah, right." Because if another week goes by and another Toys R Us uh, flyer comes out, guess what? He goes back to the same pictures, but now it's not that one. He wants another one, Daddy. I'm telling you, you weren't sure last time, but you could really be sure now. This is the one I want. There isn't a parent alive who doesn't know what I'm describing right now. Come on, isn't that true? Of course. So what does a wise parent do? A wise parent waits. Okay, I'm going to watch this boy for a while. If my boy comes back to me week after week after week after week after week, and he said, i got to have it, i got to have it, i got to have it, and I love my boy, and I'm thinking this would be a nice gift for him, at that point, I take him seriously. That little flash in the pan, i got to have it now stuff, hey, I'm not a dummy. Because <laughs> if I give you that, you'll want something else. Our divine parent is no different. Oh God, I've got to have the Holy Spirit. See you later. Ciao! And we're gone. Oh, you really want the Spirit? Did you? I'll see if you bring it up tonight. And it's not anywhere near our minds. What a pastor preached about it today, so I bring it up. But then it's gone. Ladies and gentlemen, if this is a day of atonement, up there and down here, then there is a new intensification that God is calling for. And He's saying, Guys, come on. Let's get real, please. How many gifts do you want? I have one gift. I have one gift that if you get this gift, it will give you every other gift in my storehouse. Ask me for that gift. But I want to find out if you really want it. Ask me again tomorrow. And then ask me again tomorrow. And then ask me again tomorrow. And one of these days, trust me, I will give you your heart's content. But I've got to find out. Are you really serious? Do you want it? A century ago, not three centuries ago, that's Jonathan Edwards. A century ago, these words were written. Put it on the screen for you. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. There must be earnest effort to obtain the blessing of the Lord. Not because God's not willing to bestow His blessing upon us, but because we're unprepared to receive it. You've only asked me once. If I gave this thing to you, what would you do? You'd throw it away. You're not ready to receive it. It's because we're not ready that we must keep asking. Oh, that last line, a revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. So here's the deal. What if preparatory to this final revival that Revelation 18.1 predicts, this outpouring of the Spirit all over the planet, what if God wants us, before asking for the Spirit, what if we started asking for the Spirit of asking? What if we just said, I need a spirit of pleading? 'Cause I don't want it real. I don't want it real much now. I'm just not really big on this now. God, give me a pleading. Create a hunger in me. Create a thirst in me. I want to ask. Deny yourself by fasting? Assemble yourselves. By praying? Sacred assembly. At the risk of being misunderstood. I'm gonna put a screen a slide on the screen right now. It's blue, and it'll say, House of Prayer on it. And it'll remind you that every Wednesday night, the doors of this church are open to human beings who don't want to pray alone as we do all week anyway, but who now say, Sacred Assembly, Day of Atonement, assemble ourselves together. I want to come. It'll be over by 8. starts at 7. Over by 8. Don't have an hour in the hour of His judgment? Tell me, tell me, that's not true. I'm not making anybody feel guilty. I'm not saying you're going to be lost if you don't come to the house of prayer. All I'm doing is telling you in the middle of every week, the doors to this church are open. And you can assemble yourself with others who share your passion for the spirit of supplication. I'd love to have you come. That's it. So here's the deal. I want to pray with you. I want to kneel with you. And in that kneeling, I want to somehow get some words out here, out of my heart, on your behalf, to the throne of the temple that is occupied right now. I'm going to talk direct Directly, I will be in communication to that temple room. And here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to tell you in advance. I'm going to ask that God would begin to pour out a spirit of supplication upon Pioneer Memorial Church, Andrews University, and our little tiny community here in southwest Michigan. I believe that the time is right for that pleading. Let's kneel together. Oh God. So here we are. Sacred assembly. On our knees. You're on the throne. We're on our knees. You're hearing our hearts right now. Not just one voice, but all of these heart voices ascending to You. Dear Father, our prayer is a humble one. It is a simple one would you please pour out the spirit of pleading, the spirit of asking, the spirit of supplication upon us right here. It may be that little prayer group that has been quietly meeting all these weeks has been appointed by you to become the front edge of a new prayer. Keep them, Father, praying. It might be that young adult who's been alone before you, pouring out his heart, pouring out her heart and saying, God, change me. Change my university. Change my church. Change my world. It may be she's praying that way already. He's praying that way now because you raised him up. You said, I've got to have somebody asking on behalf of the whole. Father, keep the prayers. Only now multiply them that hundreds of prayers ascend not just today because we looked in the Toys R Us catalog and oh got to have it create a new hunger for us a new hunger that will drive us back to our knees again and again a relentless intensification of our faith that will not let you go unless you bless me just like jacob i won't let you go unless you bless me Grant us that intensification of our faith now more than ever. And one day, on the other side, tell us the story of how these humble prayers were seized by the Holy Spirit to bring on the grand finale of reaching this world for Christ in one generation. Oh God, please do whatever it takes. Teach us how to pray.